Our word today is Haggai 2. Um, It is on page 948 in the church Bibles. We're going to read verses 1 to 9. On the first day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I have covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and the desired of all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house says the Lord Almighty, and in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Why don't you reopen your Bibles at Haggai chapter 2. Just the band take their seats, give you a moment to find that little section of God's word, and then we'll pray again for his help to understand it together. Father in heaven, thank you that you are indeed a speaking God that you wonderfully reveal yourself to us today. Father, thank you for this particular section of your word. And as we come to it now, Lord, would you give us minds that are ready and willing to learn. Lord, I do pray that you wouldn't just stretch our minds this morning as we think, but maybe more importantly, would you stretch our hearts? Would you give us a greater capacity for love, to love you with all our heart, soul, strength and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And we pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, just a question to begin with then this morning. I wonder if your week has been any different as a result of listening to Haggai's first sermon last week. Has your week been any different? Has it actually resulted in a realignment of your priorities? I wonder. See, if you were here last week, you may remember that Haggai was speaking to the remnant of God's people, those that have returned from exile in Babylon to Jerusalem to rebuild their city and their temple and their lives. But they had stalled on the rebuilding of the temple. We saw that they had prioritized a whole host of other things instead. And Haggai's point was actually pretty simple. Now is the time says Haggai, to build the Lord's house. Now is the time to realign our priorities and commit to his kingdom building work. Just look back, if you would, at chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. This is probably our best summary of where we were last week. 
This is what the Lord Almighty says, verse 7. Give careful thought to your ways. Check your hearts. Check your priorities. Go up into the mountains, verse 8, and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You see, God's people have been back in the land for 16 years and they'd invested a whole lot of time and energy and resources in rebuilding their own lives and their own homes. But they neglected the rebuilding of the Lord's house and in so doing, they neglected the Lord's glory. And that led us last week to ask the question of ourselves, what are we building What are we investing our time and our energy and our money and resources in? What are we giving our lives to? God's kingdom and his glory or my own personal pursuits and my own glory? Or back in Haggai chapter 1, we saw this last week. The Lord did give them a gentle rebuke in chapter 1 and their response was everything that you would have hoped for. God's people listened. God's people obeyed. And God's people went back to work. Have a look at chapter 1, verse 14. This is where we finished up last week. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. You can imagine the excitement, can't you? As they're standing there, probably on the foundation of the temple, surrounded with the rubble of the previous temple, fired up by the word of God. They've heard Haggai preach the word of God, stirred up by the spirit of God. Like a five-year-old boy with a new box of Lego, can't wait to get started, can't wait to get building bubbling over with this newfound zeal for the Lord's house to live their life for the glory of God. Yet just two months later, as Haggai speaks again in chapter 2, verse 1, the people are once again discouraged and faltering in their work. And that's why I began this morning by asking you the question, has your week been any different, really? as a result of listening to Haggai's first sermon. Have your priorities actually changed? Because it's ever so easy to sit here on a Sunday morning and be provoked by the Word of God, to have our hearts stirred by the Spirit of God, and to leave here with every intention, I'm going to commit myself fully to the work of the Lord, His kingdom, His glory, His purposes. But ever so quickly, that newfound zeal, that appetite for building the Lord's kingdom can fade. And those good intentions can disappear like the morning mist. And that's exactly what happened in 520 BC to God's people. Which is why the Lord speaks again in chapter 2 through the prophet Haggai. Look what he says, verse 1 and 2. In the second year of King Darius on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josedak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them. And there follows 
Haggai's second sermon. It's the same audience you may have noticed back in chapter 1, verse 1. And actually, it's essentially the same message. Have a look down at chapter 2, verse 4. But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you. Can you hear those same themes that were coming up last week? It is a call to build. It is a call to work, chapter 2, verse 4. But we see that call combined with that same wonderful promise of God's presence with his people. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. And so if our message last week was get building, for I am with you, the message this week is keep building, for I am with you. These nine verses are a call to a discouraged people to continue in gospel work, to continue to give themselves for the sake of God's kingdom. And there's just two main headings for us this morning. The first one is discouragement, and the second one is encouragement. And you'll be pleased to know that the majority of what Haggai says here in chapter 2 is under the category of encouragement. But before we get there, we must address the very real possibility of discouragement in the Christian walk, which comes in two forms, I think, for God's people in Haggai's day. And the first form is this, discouragement comes by means of opposition. Opposition itself isn't actually mentioned explicitly in the book of Haggai. But if you read through the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, which are the two history books that record this particular slice of God's people at this time, you'll see that opposition to their rebuilding was almost ever present. Have a look here, Ezra chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. Then the people around, and these are the people of the other nations, set out to discourage them and to make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, down to Darius, king of Persia. You see, opposition to the rebuilding of the temple was almost ever present. From the day the foundation was laid in 536 BC, when Cyrus was king, all the way through to 516 BC, when the temple was completed and dedicated and Darius was the king then. And guess what? It's no different today, is it? It is no different today. If you commit yourselves to the kingdom of God, if you give yourselves to gospel work, if you invest your life in things that will count for Christ in eternity, if you stand by the Lord Jesus and say, he's my number one, He's my priority and all of life I will build around Christ and who he is and what he's done. Know this, opposition will come your way. It'll come your way as an individual in your daily walk and your work and your witness, but it will come our way collectively as a church as we stand together if we commit ourselves to that vision of seeing lives changed by Christ. If we do, we can expect opposition to come our way. And however strong we may feel as individuals, even the most resilient of us, I think, can be discouraged by such consistent opposition. 
So firstly, there's a discouragement of opposition. But secondly, there's a discouragement of comparison. Have a look at verse 3 of chapter 2. Ask them, end of verse 2. And Haggai then asked three questions to the people. You can see them there. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it seem to you like nothing? You see, Haggai is appealing to the older generation, those who would have seen the first temple, Solomon's temple, with their own eyes before it was burnt to the ground by the Babylonians. And he says to them, this temple now going up, this second temple that you're building here, how does it look to you? How does it look to you now? Does it seem to you like nothing? Answer, yeah. It seems like nothing in comparison to that former temple. In fact, back in Ezra, when the foundation of the, the second temple here was laid, the younger, the younger generation celebrated this big landmark for the people of God. But the older generations that had seen the first temple, they wept because of the comparison. Have a look at Ezra chapter 3. 11 and 12 on the screen. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud. They could not help but compare the former with the latter and be discouraged and disappointed. It's like a minister leaving a thriving church, a congregation of 150, and he moves on. And he leaves a wonderful community of God's people, loving the gospel, opening their homes to each other, passionate about a lost world outside the four, four walls. A wonderful place to be. But he moves on. He's got a different calling. And he returns 10 years later to find a dwindling congregation that has lost its appetite for the gospel. You see, naturally, you compare the two, right? The former with the latter, and you be discouraged. And that's exactly what's going on here. God's people had begun to rebuild what was lost, but it just didn't feel like God's glory had returned. And so quickly they become discouraged and they lose their appetite, their zeal for building the Lord's house. And you know what? I don't think it's very different today. As we commit ourselves to building the Lord's kingdom, to the prayerful proclamation of the gospel, we often compare what was with what is. And the danger when we do that is that we can lose heart, yeah? Friends who were once interested in the gospel, but they just don't want to know anymore. Youth group numbers may be on the decline. Small groups haven't got the drive they once had. Memberships on the decrease. Haven't seen a baptism for five years. It just doesn't feel like stuff is happening. And I'm not saying those are specific comparisons for us today, but if you look at the church in general, they are very real comparisons that can lead to a very real disappointment and discouragement. And that's where God's people found themselves. On October the 17th, 520 BC, trudging to the temple building site with toolbox in their hand, but with a decreasing enthusiasm for the work. 
And I think we'd be lying to ourselves if we didn't say that there were times when we feel just like that, that we trudge along to things, maybe to church, Bible in hand rather than toolbox, but we just lost our zeal and our joy and our appetite for committing to God's building work. You see, the Bible is incredibly realistic. It does talk about the discouragements. They're real. We all know them. But thankfully, God's Word is rich and it is full of encouragement. Encouragements that will help us to keep building, to continue giving our lives for the sake of God's kingdom. And there's three, I think, of the finest encouragements in this passage this morning. And the first one is here, God's presence with his people. Have a look at verse 4 and 5. What a wonderful encouragement of the presence of God with his people. But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Three times Moses told Joshua, to be strong as they prepared to enter the promised land. Three times David told his son Solomon, be strong as you prepare to build the first temple. And three times Haggai tells the people, be strong as you continue to build the house of the Lord. But where does that strength come from? Where does the strength come from to keep building, to continue when life is tough. Well, it comes from the Lord, who is present with his people. Be strong and work. Why? For I am with you. Because I am with you, says the Lord. Same promise we saw last week, chapter 1, verse 13, yeah? Same promise. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. I am with you with you. Now, before we race on, would you just stop for a moment and consider the magnitude of that promise and that truth? Because it's easy to say, right, the Lord's with us. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. We know some of that language. It can reel off the tongue, but has it gripped our hearts? Have we really registered the promise that we find here? God is with us, right here, right now. The all-powerful, all-loving, all-wise, all-sufficient creator of this world has set up a permanent residence in the heart of the believer. He lives within you. The full resources of heaven living in this feeble frame, and he will never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews chapter 13, look at the promise, there it is again. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And so the response from the people, so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I am not afraid. I will keep on building whatever comes my way in life because the Lord of heaven is with me. And he's with you. And he will never, 
ever leave us. So keep on building for God's kingdom and for God's glory. The first encouragement is the presence of God with his people. And the second encouragement is God's promise to his people. Verse 6 and 7, look down. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations. And what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. And again in verse 9, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Six times in three verses, the Lord says, I will. I will. I will. Promise, promise, promise. It is a chapter loaded with promises, which I think we can summarize into three main areas that you'll see there on the screen. Firstly, I will shake the heavens and the earth. Twice in verse 6 and 7. I will fill, secondly, this house with glory. Verse 7 and 9. And I will grant peace in this place. Verse 9. Firstly then, this promise of shaking. Have a look again at verse 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. You see, shaking in the Bible refers to a significant activity or arrival of God. Mount Sinai shook, remember? When the Lord descended in power and spoke to Moses and gave him the law, Mount Sinai shook. The earth shook, remember, when Jesus died and rose again. It physically trembled when God arrived. And God will shake the heavens and the earth once more when he returns from his exalted position in glory. It will be a cosmic shaking of all things. All of life, all of creation will be shaken and reordered by a wonderfully powerful God. Have a look at Matthew chapter 24 again on the screen. The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with great power and glory. You see, on that day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns from heaven and shakes this world in judgment, all those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ will stand firm. They will. But all other kingdoms, all other empires, all other peoples will fall. Only those who have trusted in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, on their behalf, only they will stand when God shakes this world in judgment. So friends, keep building. Keep building for the sake of others and for the glory of God. I will shake, says the Lord. And then secondly, I will fill this house with glory. Have a look down at verse 7. I will shake all nations 
and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. Glory speaks, remember, of the the fullness of God's presence, the full spectrum of God's infinite qualities and worth. That's what God's glory is. And we see that in the New Testament, firstly in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of God in the face of Jesus, all that God is, the fullness of God's presence in Christ as Jesus walked in this earth and gave his life for us. But we see it secondly in the church that is called to reflect the wonderful worth and beauty and glory of Christ. So when Haggai talks about glory, he's not talking about a building. He's not talking about a more majestic temple. He's talking about a beautiful person. He's talking about Jesus. And he's talking about a beautiful people, the church, a people that are evermore being transformed into his likeness by his spirit with ever-increasing glory. And so you see when the people are discouraged in verse 3 because they compare the former temple with the latter, God reminds them, relax, people, because look what I'm about to do. And I'm not talking about a new temple rebuild. I'm not talking about a slightly smarter building. I'm talking about a glorious people, a kingdom of people, the church that Christ is building. Have a look at the diagram. There's the first temple built under Solomon. And it was a great temple. It was beautiful. It was majestic because it symbolized the God in all his glory who dwelt there. There's the second temple that was going up in Haggai's day. And it was good. It wasn't bad, don't get me wrong. It was good. But it just didn't compare to the first. But God is promising something even more glorious, more spectacular. He is building his church And so you see in that middle section there, as Haggai speaks to a discouraged people, he says, you know what? Things might feel pretty average right now, and they might do for you. Your ministry, your life, it's hard. I'm not seeing stuff happen. It's just graft. But God says, look at what I'm doing and be encouraged. I'm going to build something far more spectacular and glorious than your mind's I can conceive. And when you stand in heaven with me, you will see it. The church in all its splendor gathered around the throne of the Lord Jesus. So today, the message is pretty simple, isn't it? Don't be discouraged. If no one turns up to home group, don't be discouraged. If numbers at central prayers are low, don't be discouraged. If your friends just don't want to know the gospel anymore, don't be discouraged. Because however small and insignificant you may feel, or we may feel sometimes as a church, know this, God is at work in this world, saving people, building his church and transforming lives for their good and for his glory. So keep building. Be part of something magnificent that will last for all 
eternity. I will shake, says the Lord. I will fill my house with glory. And lastly, God's provision. God's presence with his people. God's promise to his people. And thirdly, God's provision for his people. In fact, let me just read. I'm going to read. I wasn't going to go that. I'm going to go to Revelation chapter 21. Just have a finger in that because we're going to come, sorry, to to the third promise, which I nearly missed out, the promise of peace in this place. I have a finger in Revelation chapter 21 and have a look there at the end of verse 9 in Haggai chapter 2. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. A promise that he'll shake, a promise that he'll fill, and a promise that he will bring peace. What a wonderful promise that must have been to God's people. Year after year after year of turmoil, and then God promises peace. And the place that it refers to there in verse 9 probably refers to the temple. It's the, it's, it's, the, it's the place where peace with God was enjoyed through means of sacrifice. But of course, as we saw last week, Jesus has superseded the temple, hasn't he? In every sense, the temple wasn't meant to stand forever. It was just a shadow. Jesus is the reality. And through his once-for-all-time sacrifice on the cross, through his glorious resurrection to new life, he has opened up the way to everlasting peace. And that is what we see in Revelation chapter 21. Let me read from verse 22, this world of glory and of peace that the prophet Haggai looks forward to. Verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no more night there. Why the gates never shut? Because the threat of invasion and opposition is gone forever. You see, in those days, when the night fell and the light disappeared and you lived within this, the, the, the walls of the city, you had to batten down the hatches, lock all the doors, because the night time was the time when the invaders would come and try and capture your city. But in the new creation, the, the gates are never shut. Why? Because the threat of invasion is gone. Totally, no more enmity, no more hostility. All the troubles and trials of this life, you do not need to sleep with an eye open because it is a world of perfect glory and perfect peace. And so God says, keep building. Keep building. However hostile this world may be, the day of perfect peace is coming. So be encouraged by God's presence with his people. Be encouraged by God's promise to his people And lastly, as you see on the screen, be encouraged by God's provision for his people. Verse 8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. We live and serve a God who is totally unlimited in resources. 
As it says in Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's all his, all of it. The silver and the gold, the mountains and the seas, everything you set your eyes upon, it is the Lord's, all of it. Everything belongs to him. And so as we look around in life, you may see schools that are unfinished. You may see sports stadiums that are unfinished. You may see offices that are unfinished or delayed because people run out of resources. Not so with God. He will never, ever run out of resources. He will provide everything that we need here at Long Crenna to build his kingdom. And sometimes that means he'll hold something back so that we will rely upon him more and be driven to our knees in prayer. At other times, he will give us more so we can push on in a different way in kingdom work. But he will provide both in terms of resources and finances, but also in terms of spiritual energy and grace. So keep building. Keep building. And maybe most significantly, keep praying. And this is the application we finish with here because here's the truth, isn't it? Unless the Lord builds the house, Psalm 127, the workers labor in vain. The call in Haggai all the time is build, 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 work, for I am with you. Here's the reality behind the scenes it's the Lord that builds his house, not me or you. This is his work. We just have the wonderful privilege of joining the Lord Jesus in what he is already doing. It is by his grace he will build his house. And so the call last week to get building and the call this week to keep building is firstly a call to prayer. To go to our knees and acknowledge that we cannot build God's kingdom. The Lord Jesus will build his church. My privilege, your privilege to join Jesus in his unstoppable work that will one day be seen in all its glory in heaven. So why don't you take a moment now just to pray anything that struck you from what the Lord has said in these few verses. Just pray into your heart that the Lord would genuinely stir you to realign your priorities this week for his glory. And then we'll sing again, but take a couple of minutes just in your own hearts.